0: So welcome back to Deposit That Podcast. For those of you who don't know, for the first 30 years of my life, I only really, truly respected and admired and wanted to be like one person, and that was my dad. Two months prior to turning 31, I called up a guy that I had done business with periodically, and I, for lack of better term, said, if you don't get me direct to the fucking money source of who does hard money... I'm going to lose my mind because I'm tired of being jerked around by all these people that say they do hard money, and they don't have their own money, right? They're they're basically raising their own money. So he goes, well, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, well, it's Friday at three o'clock. What do you mean, what am I doing tonight? Like, I don't know. I don't have any plans. He's like, meet me at Rayo's. I'm bringing my money guy. And I said, wow, I'm like, Rayo's, you know, it's a pretty uh, prestigious place to get into. He's like, yeah, I have a table there. I'm like, hmm, your stock just went up in my mind. So we ran home, put on a suit and tie, and I drove to Harlem and went to Rayo's. And in walks this very well-dressed, clean-cut guy that I automatically was like, wow, this guy looks like a superstar. And then I heard him speak and saw how smooth he was, and I realized this guy walks like a superstar. Then we continued to have dinner, and I think everyone was drinking wine. I wasn't drinking wine at the time for whatever reason. And you know, it was a nice table. Some people you know, talk a little bit more than others, and I just – Watch how he carried himself and I listened to the points that when he spoke, he spoke with a purpose. He didn't just speak to speak. And two years later now, almost two years later now, I have the second most male figure that I consider to respect, love and trust in my life, Michael Beatty. So Mike, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day in life and congratulations on your daughter's engagement. Thanks for coming on the show. I really, really, truly, from my heart, appreciate it.
1: Glad to be here, Jeff. Always a pleasure.
0: So you remember that night at Rayo's? You've been back since I haven't. It was once John realized I started sending deals and he stopped inviting me (laughs) to go to Rayo's. Is that how John works? Got what he wanted. (laughs) John served his purpose for many reasons. John, uh, hopefully you'll be listening. You're probably doing bicep curls at the gym right now or laying in your tanning bed while Mike and I are talking. But uh, we really appreciate you setting up not only the relationship from a business standpoint, but I truly value you for setting up this relationship from a personal friendship standpoint as well. So Mike... You went from Yonkers, I believe, right? You grew up Yonkers? Eastchester. Eastchester, next to Yonkers. Same thing. Into the fashion world and into hedge funding. So talk to us about your evolution from Eastchester to fashion and to hedge funding.
1: Well, the evolution was planned probably since I was 10. So you knew it? I knew it. I knew that there was a better way. I always affiliated with more wealthy people from Eastchester, New Rochelle, Scarsdale. And said that anything they could do, I could do better. So you knew that at ten years old, maybe, yeah, ten between ten wow. and twelve. I just wow. knew that I could make it happen, regardless of what industry if, that I would want to be in. And and I've evolved from one industry to another. And quite frankly, this is probably not my last. You know, maybe the last one is m- movies. And if I want to do a Hollywood face Yeah, if I want to do movies I'm going I'm to do oh, movies Oh, like I
0: completely forgot So for those of you who don't know We usually play If you're going up to You're at Bat and Baseball They play like a, a walk-up song So sure. I have a song for you That I thought about I actually posted on Instagram I didn't tag you in it Because I didn't want you To know the song you know the song? Is it 90s? No, it's LMFAO. It's called I'm sexy and I know it. Oh, so I and... you posted a picture tan, perfect everything smile with no shirt on and I'm sitting in a suit and tie pissed off. And this is the song that reminded me of you. So that's your intro song. Thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome.
1: So yeah, I mean at a, at a very young age, the one thing I wouldn't accept, I didn't I didn't have a father. I had one in the city, but uh wasn't present? He wasn't present and died young from whatever, partying.
0: Do you think that impacted you throughout the rest of your life? Of course.
1: That's why I always kept partying at, at, at I would say, the bare minimum. I was much more into health, sports. You know, I, I, I grew up with a very strong mother. She was my rock. I had two sisters that were rocks. So I, I, I've always appreciated women because, you know, my, between my grandmother, my mother, my two sisters, I grew up with in that environment where they were solid. You know, and I never had a solid male figure, so when I had my own children, the one thing I said I'm going to do for sure is i'm going to be solid, regardless of the aggravation. I'm never going to waver um you can appreciate that because I see Literally. the way you are with your son yeah. okay. my quasi grandson yeah. I'm old enough it could be it could be Not
0: quasi real
1: so for me. No one was going to put a boundary on me. I, I, I didn't even feel like I had to be as well-educated. I poo-pooed school a little bit. I ended up, of course, graduating high school and going to a design school in the city, to FIT, which I loved
0: you just love that there were so many women there. You were the, the only straight guy. Only straight
1: guy in the school. <laughs> <laughs> right? It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Never lacking for about dates. Oz, right? <laughs> and I had a business at the time back in Westchester, which was generating a lot of cash. So I also had a lot of. Cash. What
0: were you doing? What was that business?
1: So I had one of the first detail. I went to California. I saw detailing. I said, "I'm opening a detail." My mother said, "You don't know anything about it." I said, "The first twenty or thirty cars, I'll do myself." Yeah, then I hired two guys. I took them out of the Chevrolet dealership, and we were doing uh, we had like 40 to 50 cars a week. Wow.
0: So back then you were crushing it.
1: Crushing it. Crushing it. All cash, so All cash. You still got the cash? Nah, I spent it. <laughs> I spent on, it? On the girls at FIT. <laughs> oh, got you. Right. <laughs> That's actually not true. It's a great story. It's quick. Most of the money I actually saved, mm-hmm. paid for my own college, and the leftover money, which was pretty good. So I went to uh, the Castaways Marina in New Rochelle, and there was this guy, Max Levine, and he had a big houseboat, and he always had great-looking girls. He was an older guy, but he always had great-looking girls. And I said, Max, what's the secret? And he goes, well, I'm a good investor. I said, oh, goes, okay, so talk to me. He goes, well, how much money do you have? So I said, I have about 40000 40000 You come from a single mom? I go, that's what I worked. So he goes, all right, buy gold. So I went and bought gold, and you know right yeah, around sure. the mid seventies gold quadruple sure. so I did very well
0: that was your first trade. that man. was my
1: first trade went to Maryland. she opened up as a matter of fact, the guy that I opened up with he's probably about seventy eight now he's was still it
0: actually Merrill hes no it was
1: Merrill yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's right across the street from me now, and granted she's wow, never he, he never retired, as you know in that time when uh, New York was going bankrupt, there was a uh, Abe beam was the mayor little, little short guy he came up with these bonds because you couldn't, you know, not, not like today where the government bails everybody out. Right. There was no bailouts. Right. The federal government said, we're not bailing you out. So he created Big Mac bonds. So the Big Mac bonds paid me 19% triple tax rate. So now the money I had made in gold, I'm getting this gigantic. So, so I'm really rolling and I bought a, a little penthouse apartment. In Manhattan? Uh, no, I bought it in Bronxville. I was actually living part of the time with a girlfriend in Manhattan. But anyway, long story short, that was the first. You made her pay
0: the high end rent. Of
1: course. <laughs> and I had the place sitting, sitting. up. Here's in, the fashion. Yeah, this was it. It was my first realization that regardless of what you're trained for, you can do a lot of different things in life. As I said earlier, that no one was ever going to tell me how to do it, what to do. I, I never had a boss. I think I had a boss, I think, my first job after I graduated college for, I think I think I was two years, and he was a great guy. And ever since then, I've always opened a business, opened it, sold it, opened it, operated it, traded. And then when I was about 42, 44, I really got tired of the fashion world. I think that's a young guy's business. 42. Yeah, I got tired of it. You burnt
0: out or you just tired of it? No,
1: not burnt out. I was just like kind of bored. It was like, I do the same thing. You accomplished it. Yeah, I accomplished it. I did it. I sold the company and I decided that I was going to, you know, all my friends in Greenwich all worked for hedge funds. And I said, well, I'm going to open my own hedge fund. So I went to a guy who gave me a shot for two years with a contract. He said, you know, if the funds are all up, you'll, you know, get a bonus and blah, blah, blah did a lot of studying, a lot, you know, spoke to everybody, did the research, traded my own account, all different types of trades. So I took his four, he had four different funds. They were all pretty much lousy performance. And two years later, they were all in the, you know, high teens. And so I'd accomplished it. So then I went out and opened with a partner, Tradex.
0: At what age is this now? 44,
1: 45? Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. 40, I think it was maybe, I think it was like 47, actually. So I opened up Tradex with a gentleman who was one of the top currency traders in the world.
0: And you had met him how?
1: Through tennis, playing tennis. And he was a great tennis. He was an ex-hockey player. I always equate, as you do, I always like, I think athletes are the some of the best investors. Because of the mentality? And competitive and don't like to lose. And quite frankly, like us, we're not that risky. You know, right. We're risk adverse. Right. So I met this gentleman, we opened it up, we had a great run for like about, you know, like 12 or 14 years, made it through the financial crisis, and I still have a small book that I trade, and basically about eight years ago, got into hard money. Investing in hard money. Investing with John Lutera JCL, and I would just do one-off deals with him, and I was fascinated.
0: Did you pick and choose those one-off deals, or did you just say, hey, I like this, or I trust you, here's my money blind? I looked at every deal. Every deal.
1: I, I didn't always go to the properties, right. but I looked at every deal. I saw what the borrower was up to. I saw the LTV on it. I looked at the neighborhood where the loan was. I did a cursory, I would say, compared to what we would do now. Sure. And these were smaller deals. Right. So these were mostly fix and flips. Yep. And before fix and flips yep, were yep, even yep, popular.
0: Before it got saturated. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's a question that it's probably twofold. Did you do your homework on the deal, right, before you contributed your own capital to lending on it, right? You invested into the hard money loan from an educational standpoint or a risk standpoint, meaning because you were fully interested in the actual lending space or you wanted to educate yourself on what hard money was and why someone would borrow at a rate higher than normal?
1: I would say both. I was very interested why somebody would borrow at, you know, 12, back then, 12 or 14%, But I did my due diligence because when you start out from very humble beginnings, the fear of losing, hmm. I would think that I'm going to go back and and be a poor kid again. Is that
0: how you treat every trade, the fear of losing? Pretty much. But you don't – I know you don't operate out of fear. But it sounds like you almost no, do. I'm not or?
1: afraid. I'm afraid – the fear is losing – and then losing your status as what people in my firm come to know me as. He's a solid trader. He's a go-to guy. He makes money. And, and by the way, that doesn't mean every trade Correct. makes money. Overall. But overall. now absolutely you not. You don't judge a
0: batting average by a game. by a No, season.
1: but I mean if you – let's say you're – as a trader, let's say you're 60% of the time right. Mm-hmm. As long as you manage your losses on the other – and you're right. Sixty percent of the time, you make a fortune. You can so clean I, up. I manage my losses. So you know, I would say I lose a trade. You know, make it simple. I might lose a quarter of a percent, and on my winners, I'm gaining six to eight percent.
0: So you could lose really five times a quarter,
1: but the one trade that makes
0: up for it doesn't matter.
1: Wow. So my bat, you know, my batting average is pretty high, eighty percent, and my money management is, I think, even better.
0: Well, I know you'd be very disciplined. You're very structured in that sense, right? What do you attribute that discipline
1: to? Again, I think it's for a fear of potentially screwing up and going back to uh, those humble beginnings. Right. Which, by the way, the best memories of my life. Best school, yeah, best school ever. Best school ever. Best friends loved it. Blue, you know, maybe blue collar is not the right word, but like you know, certainly not an affluent neighborhood. Sure. Although that area yeah, now middle is, class today, if you will, today t- today yeah. might even be you know upper. But when I was there, it was it was basically Eastchester was the Bronx in Westchester. So you told me a
0: story that you were like 150 pounds soaking wet, maybe playing middle linebacker in high school, and you mm-hmm. would just you actually had to stop playing because of concussions. Yep. Walk me through the mentality of that and how you still have that same mentality. So I today. had
1: a coach I never forget. His name was Ray Karauski, Came from Penn State. Maybe it didn't. I don't even know why he went from a Penn State. Right. I think he was an assistant but anyway he was a Penn State guy, rough and tough, no bullshit. And so you know, I went and tried out and made the first I made the freshman team and they kept saying to me, you know, you play, you know, free safety, you know, you're light. And I and I'd be like, "Coach, I, I like to hit. I I need to let my anger out. I got to hit." So by the time I was in JV, I was playing a middle linebacker. Maybe 150. Maybe with equipment on. Maybe I was 100. Maybe, I, wet. maybe I maybe I <laughs> topped 160. Yeah. Led the team in tackles. Uh, unfortunately, the following year was probably my fourth or fifth concussion. And we were I was lucky because we had a nurse at our school that recognized the symptoms because back then nobody thought yeah, about right,
0: it. Yeah, right, whatever. Lights
1: out. Uh, all I wanted was Pac-Man's on my on my helmet. You That's know? It. Like yeah, just tackle, tackle, yeah. tackle. And because I was little, I used to let the guys kind of run over me. But then yeah, not cranked, get out of your grasp. Never got out of my grasp. So I would take the, a lot of hits. So they basically came and said, We we've got, you know, bad news. And I said, what's the matter? And they said, you're 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 off the football team. So I went and played tennis and became an avid tennis player, which has served me well in my adult life. Yeah, I play three or four times a week. It's competitive, and um, you don't get any concussions.
0: So what would you you say was the defining moment in your career that really took you from being with the masses and put you on that all-star level? Now, you might not consider yourself an all-star, somebody... You're somebody I consider an all-star from a people person and a business perspective. But have you been able to maintain that all-star status for so long in an industry that really does not have that great of a reputation? And a lot of guys did get wiped out from you know buying the yachts, cars, girls, 10 penthouses. How have you been able to maintain that?
1: Well, first of all, I keep my spending at a minimum. The years that I have had great years and the years that I've had mediocre years, you would never know the difference. I don't buy Lamborghinis. Um, risk adverse. So I think that in a market where in the financial crash, I know one of our, our biggest fund, which was a, a currency fund, we were up about 8 or 9%. And everyone
0: else was down, what, 40?
1: Yeah, down 40. I did have another fund that was highly levered because that's what investors wanted. And that one did get dinged. But I think the reason, quite frankly, I don't think it has anything to do with the success. I think it has to do with people's perception. I think when people meet me, there's a trust level that they have that I will do well by them. And I'm very calm about it. I, I very rarely get rattled. And it's I, a very good demeanor. It's a good demeanor for, for this industry. Mm-hmm. Maybe as a younger guy, I was a, maybe a little bit more of a yeller and a screamer sometimes. But you, you, you were
0: never a hothead, though, No, were you? no, no.
1: In the fashion business, hotheads, right. it didn't. It, it wouldn't work. The women were. Yeah, it was all <laughs> yeah. And it was mainly women. Yeah. So, you know, I went from a school that was all women. I went from a household that was all women. I went to an industry that trained. was all women. <laughs> so you really, yeah. you had to behave yourself. Sure. I don't know if there's one defining moment, but it, it, it hit me. At some level, when I started to be successful in trading and and managing hedge funds and making investment in hedge funds and private equity businesses that, you know what, wow, I can really do anything. And then all of a sudden I became, I I didn't have the anxiety anymore. I I didn't have the, the fear of, well, if this doesn't work. Then it's a, it's all over
0: because you believed in yourself or I mean, you already
1: proved yourself well I proved myself number one but I believed in myself that even if the current situation was to implode with a world I, I would find a way to reinvent myself and it could be in a totally different industry and believe me when people said you're going from the fashion business to the fund business idiot. What you they doing? left. Yeah, sure no, they
0: left yeah. you know style now you're gonna go into this yeah
1: what if, you know what you know what do you know how and, was the learning curve? It was steep, you know. I would say, you know, to get really comfortable. Like I worked for somebody, and the and the and the gentleman was really great to give me a great break. But every month that we put up the numbers in those funds that I was co chief investment officer, because he was the chief investment officer, because he owned the company. Perfect, whatever. That um, don't matter. Six months later, I didn't let him make a trade. Six months later, I, I did not. You know, I basically told him, "You can't even come in my office." And and he said, okay, as long as you're doing well, and, yeah, show me and the numbers. That was a defining moment. I think that I knew that I could do it, and if it wasn't in that industry, I could make it in another industry, and that made me as a person feel really good.
0: Now we've had multiple conversations of you know the 2007 and 8 collapse, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's when I invented myself, mm-hmm. right? You could say I reinvented, but invented myself as an adult, if you will. When I was still a kid, 20 years old, and your trade and your Foresight on the soon to be collapsing market. You told me a story one time that you realized when your mailman that was making whatever forty fifty whatever he was making fifty thousand dollars a year showed up driving. I believe it was a BMW or a Mercedes. Two he had two BMWs. His Mercedes. and hers. Yeah. Tell the actual story.
1: I started to see everybody cash out doing cash out refis to create a lifestyle but it was never created. It was a house of cards because they were only creating it because they happened to be lucky that the value of their house went up. That was one thing. And And I kept thinking about it. I was thinking about it for a year. And I said, something has to go. Prices can't go like this. But what I really saw was the hockey stick between the house price appreciation and your income. So for 30 years income would go up, your income would Standard. go up 3 or 4%, that, right? whatever. Back then it was a little higher yep. than it is today. And your house would go up 3%. It was healthy. So now all of a sudden it's a hockey stick. So your, your house is going up 15%, 20% a year, and your income is not. Right. That's when I knew that it was a house of cards. And so we did a lot of research mm-hmm. and we found you know, the right I would call them jockeys. We did not actually make those trades. We allocated our capital to two firms that were putting that trade on specifically.
0: And what trade was this?
1: Shorting subprime bonds. So the big short. So it was the big short. We were involved with the same guys that are in the movies and um, another great investor you know, over at Paulson. And we, we just – we knew it. And – you know, the bonds were trading at 103 and you know, bond math. I mean, where can the bond go? Can it it could can go to 105, right. but, but a bond doesn't go 200. <laughs> it, I mean, that, that's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. You know, that's where it you're is. Capped. So I figured we could lose, you know, these were highly levered and, you know, with all that, we could probably lose. I told everyone coming in, I said, you could lose probably seven to 10% before you're going to make, you know, three or four or five times your money. And. Basically that's what happened. So
0: you could lose ten percent, but the upside's three hundred percent. Exactly.
1: It was more Pennies. like it was more like five hundred percent. Who knew? Even my own partners, once the money doubled, they got very excited and said, We've had enough. Here we're, we're out. out. I've said no, Go back, out. go back and trade your currencies because they like liquidity. I said, This is just beginning. This is we, when the bonds had gone from one hundred three to I forget the number, but you know, maybe it was at seventy. And then with the leverage included, you'd have doubled your money. Sure. And so we basically ended up covering, and I say we, we did not, we, you know, we were monitoring. You made the investment. Yeah, we were monitoring the guys, and those bonds, they actually ended up covering probably at around eight. Seven or eight, but seven or eight cents. So, with so leverage, for every dollar you put in, you, you made. We got that back much? five,
0: five. Yeah, and in, in what time frame?
1: That was about uh, a little less than two years. Wow! So long-term capital. Five times gains. your money in two
0: years, yeah. and you call that your retirement trade? Right? That was the
1: retirement trade. Well, that, I mean, that gave me a that gave me enough of a cushion of to. Be able to do other things, but I didn't do other things. I because that really gave me the addiction sure. for the next big, for the next big trade. I mean, we rode the China. You know, we rode the China. We were making you know 90 percent a year for two or three years in wow. a row when China was ex- sure. exploding in two thousand five and two thousand six. So for me, instead of being a trader. Only, and I do trade every morning, mm-hmm. I, tr- I trade a book, I trade, you know, derivatives, I trade uh, gold, I trade.
0: What's your average dollar, people like to hear like real facts, right? What's your average dollar amount trade that you do today on average? Is it a million bucks, 10 oh, million? Oh, hard.
1: That's hard. I mean. Ballpark. It's. You know, it could be anywhere from a hundred thousand to you know five million.
0: So do you? So just again, from a strategy standpoint, so mm-hmm. people are listening. Everyone wants to be a trader, right? They think it's easy money. Everyone wants to call the next you know stock that's going to go big time. And they don't trade stocks necessarily in particular. You're more indexes and in funds, I believe. You have a hundred thousand dollars for trade. Do you make that your entry point, and with the expectation to having to go in if it drops in dollar cost average, or do you? go in with all that money you have and it either works out or doesn't
1: well my trading style is i don't chase a bad Definitely. trade right. if if i put on you know uh, let's say the equivalent of let's say it's 100,000 in margin mm-hmm. and that gives me let's say a 2 million 3 million dollar trade and i'm thinking gold's going to 1260 which sure. I, I think it's going it's a, it's a 1218 we you know we gold is at 1400 i thought 1400 at 1425 1425, or something 1425. right um, what did I, did I say? So? Oh, okay. Sorry. Fourteen twenty-five. <laughs> but at 13, at 1380, yeah. I got long, a lot of gold. I knew it was 1360. So my downside, if I'm wrong, technically was, you know, 20, you know, 20 bucks. But my upside is, could be, it could be, 30%. It could be gone back. No, it could be going yeah. back to 19.
0: I think it goes back to 1900. It, I, wasn't 11. it is going
1: to go back yeah. to 1900. I don't know if it's, Winter. I don't know if it's a straight line. Yeah. 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 But trading for me now is looking for the one to two trades that I think are going to be – we're never probably going to get another subprime where you make that kind of money. Right. That was an anomaly. But we could see the equity market I'm, – I'm a big believer that the equity market has been built on borrowed money mm-hmm. for Leverage. share buybacks and dividends. It's not based on fundamentals, which I don't really even believe in all that. I'm much more – Technically driven and macro driven. And everything else is
0: built on hype right now.
1: Well, I mean, listen, the equity market here, up here at three, the S&P is the only thing I look at is, you know, let's say at 3,000, it's trading a little rich to its historical value, but it's not crazy rich. What bothers me is how it got there. How quickly? Well, it's...
0: Ten years ago, did you ever think you'd see the S and P hit three thousand? Truthfully,
1: yeah, I thought when we came out of the crisis that we that we probably would hit three thousand. Yeah, wow. As a matter of fact, I have a target of about thirty three hundred.
0: Ten percent move north,
1: not necessarily, but I think the upside from the market here is about ten percent. So, if you had gotten all these beautiful gains, if you had made, if you were just invested in the S and P and you had made three to four times your money since the crash. Why would you want to? Yeah, why risk? be
0: greedy for ten percent?
1: My grandfather said, "Don't stand in front of a steamroller mm-hmm. for a quarter." Right. If you want to stand there, you got to be getting paid. I tell people that know nothing about finance. You know, they say, "Well, what should I do with my four hundred one ki am saying, "Look how much money you made. Take everything in cash, and maybe buy some calls on S and P, so that if it goes up, you make a little bit of more money Something. on the way up." But You know what? Being cash, I think, currently is is really not a bad idea.
0: So what advice would you have for somebody that wants to get into the hedge fund space, right? Now, there's multiple hats you could wear inside the hedge fund space. So someone that just graduates college, what do you tell them to do?
1: Well, right now, the hedge fund space, I mean, to be honest, the hedge fund space for the last seven or eight years has been horrible. Because remember, you're hedging. The passive investments have made all the money. The guy that's the fund, the vanguards, they're 100% long, right? So they are the ones, quite frankly, that have made the money. Now, if you had had shorts on during that whole time frame, you lost on every single one because the whole entire market was driven up. And quite frankly, it's still really going that way today. But I think, like I said, I think we're very close so end. it's
0: funny, right? So, you know, listen, when you're a kid, you, know, you got a couple dollars, you invest, whatever, two, three hundred in a stock. You know, I tell everyone, I tell these people flat out, I'm like, well, in 2006, I bought Apple at 47 a share, whatever it was. And I sold it at 72. Why? Because I had four shares of it. I needed drinking money to go to the bar, right? It was the summertime. I had no money, right? So I sold out at 72. Then I got in, in 07, in 08, really, I think I made like nine, 10 grand, whatever it was. And plus or minus a thousand here or there, it's the point of it. So I bought Citibank at a dollar. I think I put like forty thousand into it. Whatever it was. It went to two dollars. I'm like, oh fuck. I'm like, I just doubled the money. Imagine if I've been sitting on it today, right? Took it out, put it back into business. I needed the money to live. So I was basically taking
1: my commission checks. Where's Citibank today? I don't even know, but a lot more than a dollar. I I think JP Morgan was under ten dollars. I think eighteen, it, sixteen. And it, and it trades at hundred and twelve, hundred and fifteen. Right. Yeah.
0: So Fannie Mae, two, three cents. You know, today's at two fifty five, right? And I had tens of thousands of shares. I own it. You're still on Fannie Mae. Yeah. So yeah, I think I bought it at like two, three cents, sold it at five and six. But again, back then, you know, I was playing with money that I needed to survive, right? So I wasn't actually doing the trade. I was getting my double my money in and out. Facebook bought 17, like sold it 21, 22, whatever. You know, it's 200 today.
1: Well, there's something to be said about buying some of these for the long term.
0: But again, so because I was young, right, mm-hmm. and I needed my money to, I mean, listen, when I was 22 years old, my Amex bill monthly was 10,000. Because I had lunches, dinners, you know, I was living that lifestyle where, hey, I'm not cooking. I'm buying breakfast with a referral, potential referral source. Mm-hmm. Lunch with the, you know, you do breakfast, lunch, and dinner five times, 15 times, you know, you do the math. You know, $50, whatever. You were networking. It, it adds up quickly. And that's where my money got reinvested back into my business, right? What advice would you have for that person that wants to start trading, right, and saying, hey, buy one share of Facebook, hold that. But trade five shares of Facebook, for an example. I know you want to trade, but it's sometimes better to just hold.
1: There's a famous investor, uh, Jack Schrager. And if you read his book, the first thing he'll always say is, find a trading style that fits your personality. Hmm. Some guys, a lot of guys in my office, they take a lot of risk during the day, but that's it. Positions are all closed out at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whenever, so they're really looking for short-term moves. Run. Yeah. Like, how much did I make today? Yeah. You know, I, I, I made 50 grand or I lost 12 grand. You know, some, something in, in, in that neighborhood. There are other guys that have a longer-term view. I've come to conclude that I feel certain days there's both. So I have a long position on gold that I'm not going to take off, no matter what. I've got mm-hmm. a long position on silver. I don't buy a lot of single equities but I have a few single equities that have a very strong binary event coming in the next kind of 6 strong. months to a year. So if I'm right they're going to be it's going to be like a free option. What I've as I've gotten a little bit older what I've realized is there's a lot of just noise in the market during the day. It's, all it is is noise. Nothing's Edmunds. changed. It's just you know Trump tweets mm. and you know, gold moves, you know, the bonds move, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more macros. Like I said, I'm not really individuals, individual stocks. So what I've been doing lately is trying to find trades that are like pivoting that have come to a certain level that we determine through all sorts of mathematical equation, Fibonacci's, that a lot of stuff that we can really wouldn't have time or most people wouldn't understand. But mathematically, we see where these positions are at levels where they should probably reverse themselves or they hit levels where they should basically go higher from a certain level. And with you, when you find those and you, and you hone your expertise, you can hold trades for a long time. And then when I looked back, I said, well, the best trades I ever made were the ones that I held for a year or two. My gold trade when I was a baby,
0: sure.
1: You know, my subprime. Set it and forget it. Almost said it and forget it. Well, I mean, a couple – it was two years. Of course. course. And and you really couldn't trade. Two years is a long time today. To be fair, you really couldn't trade in and out of it anyway. I mean, you could have just got out of it totally. So I think for a young person today, I think it's more difficult. When I grew – when I started coming up, there was no AI. There was no artificial intelligence. Now there's robots. Yeah, it's human trade.
0: research that you're doing. Yeah,
1: so when you know when there's an announcement from the Fed that the supercomputer AI, as soon as they hear the first, let's say the first letter of the word, sure. the computer knows what it's going to say. Bingo! They're seconds faster than everybody, and seconds in this industry, exactly. If you're trading a new the news yep. is monumental. Hmm. So I think it's harder, and I think the young guys today have to learn how to trade against the robots, the robots tend to trade in and out mean reversion and and do a lot of trades during the day. So I think the longer term strategy by doing a lot of work on a taking a view on either a specific currency pair, a view on gold, a view on the equity market, and doing it in futures and being able to hold it is my advice. Don't get pushed out because you use too much leverage. So go in smaller yep. and be able to stay. So if you have 20 contracts right. and it moves four points, you're out. But right. if you have 10 contracts and it moves four points, it's still a little painful, but you're not going to get a margin call. That's leverage is the killer for most. Young guys blow up two or three accounts before they finally I'm get sure. it right.
0: they all learn. They all so learn. you know what the most – I would say out of everything I've been through in life, everything – including my... Broken ankle. Broken ankle. That was the most pivotal experience in my life, right? That was a breaking point, if you will, right? That put me on the right path and direction, even though it sucked and it was painful and a lot of bad stuff happened, ancillary to just the ankle didn't just break everything else, broke around it. But I reinvented myself again from there. I'm still reinventing myself from it. And I learned a lot from it. Blessing in disguise. Probably the most painful thing that I experienced was when it had to be 2011 2012. You know, I was sitting on a good chunk of money, cash. I, I'm not a cash guy. Mm-hmm. I've always like, hey, listen, if I have 10 20 grand, like it's going into this business, it's going to this idea, this website, yeah. Because listen, you're in your 20s, take those risks. You know, hey, you need fifty thousand for your bar here. You need forty thousand for your business. Good. You know, whatever it was, right? Friends, family, you name it. Helped, helped, helped a lot of people out. The most painful thing I think I experienced was. You know, when I was watching banks, mortgage banks, that I was working for taking multi-million dollar losses and buybacks to FHA, mortgage mm-hmm. insurance companies were bankrupt, so they were basically not insuring against the losses when they should have been, right? Mm-hmm. The actual small mortgage bank owner was closing their doors left and right, the ones I always worked for. Knock on wood, I've never been at a mortgage bank that ever closes doors, believe it or not. Some of the owners, it's pretty impressive that they're still around, right? Some were great guys. I was watching them take millions and millions and millions of dollars of losses. And I said, well, if this small bank that does $300 million a year, for example, just got a bill from FHA for 4 or $5 million, they should be going under. Imagine with these big banks, Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, all these big banks that Government acquired mergers with Washington Mutual and all the other bullshit banks back in the day. Rather than them going out, they merged with a bigger conglomerate for cash deposits. You know more about that than I do from a
1: liquidity well, standpoint. Well, I think Bank America was forced by Special the government, government yeah, to buy Countrywide. No, they, were, they didn't buy them. They and were given them. And, yeah, they said. And then they had to absorb all the, all the, correct. all the penalties so, and the fines. So
0: there was a triple levered stock, mm-hmm. FAZ. Mm-hmm. It shorted the financial sector, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Okay, well, I know all these banks just got crushed, right? Their stock prices really should be lower than what they are. I'm watching small companies lose three to five million dollars a day, they were getting bills for. I'm putting fifty thousand into triple shorting the financial sector, and it tripled. I'm like, wait, what? I know this is bullshit. Like, I'm watching these banks take multi-million dollar losses and this financial sector's going up two or three times. I don't understand it, but I know I'm right. So I had the right trade, the right mentality, statistics to back it up, and I lost 50 grand in a day.
1: A, a day literally cuz it's triple leverage it you was know. three times leverage yep. and it was down 15 or you know in a day it literally was so like now you're 45 50%, I was done and it's literally right.
0: in a second and the way it compounds yeah. like 15% isn't really 15% yeah. you know
1: you never buy levered etfs I learned that unless that's, you trade them just for a day or two right so i learned
0: that right. at 24 that's that's a that's a hard loss for me yeah. and here's the reason it's why big money. i was right well forget the money yes the am of money you know I me mean, my right. like money comes and goes right. is what it is. i respect it, but it but was a,
1: it was the right trade i was right
0: i'm like listen here's the facts like These banks have to be losing trillions of dollars, right? I'm a little guy here in the Bronx doing $30 million a year in business, and look what these banks are losing. Talk to me about that. So how did banks lose so much money, but their stock prices went up 10 times? How does that happen?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know what period of time you're talking about. Citibank, yes, I remember when it traded at a dollar, and Prince said, if the music is playing, we're going to keep dancing. But I think it took years for it to get to... The multiple that you're talking
0: about, right? So what I came to learn was the banks were taking on the bad debt and they were taking the servicing to the bad loans and basically writing it off of their books. So like Bank of America, for example, took on let's just say they had two trillion in bad loans. Mm-hmm. They would just say, "Hey, company, Bank of America Holdings, bad fund here, and this is now your asset." And they took the liabilities and defaults off their books, well, and that's they all did
1: that. They had a good bank and a bad bank, right?
0: How bad is that though, from a, from an ethical standpoint, right?
1: Well, that's why they paid. That's why the fines were as big as they were. It it took Bank of America. I mean, we just watched it every single quarter, another billion, another two billion in fines. I mean – they really. They should reimburse
0: me my fifty k, right?
1: Put think a put a claim in. Right, seriously. No, like, you're the little guy. Yeah, they, don't they don't care about you. Of course not. They don't care about you. And you know the you know something to be said about the subprime that I think is worth mentioning. I think people are misguided and they think that there was some scam by the banks and this and that. Not not really. I I, I put the blame on the the guys like the Barney Frank's of the world because if you wanted a banking license in St Louis, you had to open up branches in the inner city, and you had to make subprime loans. Sure. So i in the urban areas. So home ownership went from a – there's only about 65% of the population in the United States that is responsible enough. About 65 – maybe I'm off by a point. Maybe it's 64. That's – this is historic – that is responsible enough to have a mortgage wow. and to keep a job and pay for it. They got the home ownership up to 70. So if you look at that, the default it's rate. not that big, actually, a no, like 10% the, increase. Well, the default, no, but that was the whole amount that defaulted. So basically, you could have probably, you could have avoided most of that calamity sure. had you not forced a mortgage on someone that doesn't, Really isn't they responsible. The their- they're not responsible. So you're any- saying only 10% increase
0: in homeownership caused to 2000- essentially caused home Homeownership,
1: but the majority oh. of it being subprime. That's crazy. So all of a sudden they added in sure. all of these, you know, 600, 550 FICOs right. and they let them go with no doc, low doc, yeah. liar no loans, gone, whatever. They, yeah. they, you, you got a loan. And so it, it, it's now why the defaults so low is because they found the right amount of the population that was actual re, actually responsible enough wow. to have a mortgage, keep their job, pay the mortgage, and not default. Mm-hmm. So it's I think it could have been avoided, and I think a lot of this was driven by the politicians.
0: So going down a different route, which I know people want to hear about, I say like you know you're the exception to the rule in the hard money space. Like you brought professionalism with a business background and integrity into a space that, for lack of a better term, had none. I mean, what's been your experience so far? Tell me some funny stories. Shocking. Shocking, right? It's amazing that these people make this kind of money. Shocking. What's been your experience this far? And have you thought about getting out of it because of how painful it is?
1: You know, I love the hard money because every deal is a story. And I've never really been in a business. A trade is a trade. If I'm trading gold, it's very finite. It's either going up or it's going down. But with a hard money loan, you can be creative in your structuring. And you know this. You can be creative to kind of make it work, you know, retrofitted, if you want to say. Now, sometimes I find that a little slimy and, a, yeah. and I don't want to know all this. I don't want to know all this but quite frankly. That's why there's
0: brokers. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and 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 you know, listen, we we have we, we've met a lot of good brokers along the way, inc- you included. If well, you the, make me better, so you know. We try, you know.
0: You, I, not your company, you personally.
1: Because I took a vested interest and said, "Here's a guy that can really generate a lot of business. Let's find out what works for us, not just for me and not just for you. Let's find out a trading, if you want to call it, style that works For Jeff Van Note and for Michael Beatty from Tradex Realty so that we can maximize our relationship and do as many loans. It it really bothers me when you come with a loan that I can't fund. So I'm going to try to find a way. And, you know, I think that other brokers that we've met along the way, they're just – I can't explain it and I don't want to put anybody down. I just think they're not sophisticated enough, but they've survived in this business by matching A with B. You know We have a couple of different venues in hard money, but the majority of our loans are retained. We keep them. So for us, finding the right brokers and structuring a deal that works for the borrower, I think we're doing the industry a big favor. Sure. Because we are keeping commerce going when the banks have said no.
0: So do you, do you see that continuing? Do you see banks tightening up? I just read an article today. Actually, I'll give you an example. I didn't even read an article today. I lied. I saw a headline. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, you know, I still, you know, people still call me all time for residential mortgages, right? Mm-hmm. So I refer them to the people that have always been there for me, whether mm-hmm. it's New York, New Jersey. Listen, if you if you ever did anything for me, like this, you didn't have to do anything for me. If you didn't try and hurt me throughout my career, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a loan mm-hmm. because this is your business. It's not my business anymore. I'd rather have the relationship... Maintain a relationship with the person coming to me and send them to somebody who usually more often than not gets the job done. So client has a 622 credit score. They're literally going in for a clear to close. They bank pulls the credit report today when they had a DU Fannie Mae approval. Mm-hmm. The credit score went to 638. Mm-hmm. So the credit score went up uh-huh. 16 points. Mm-hmm. DU, the Fannie Mae digital engine, denied the loan. The credit score, and that was submitted last month. So Fannie Mae, in the matter of from June to July, same exact parameters, credit score went up. Every, the loan was better from a credit standpoint today than it was last month. Changed the rules. Changed the rules. So if Fannie Mae is tightening up, you know they were getting heat from, I'm sure, all the big wigs. And obviously, you know, it's neither here nor there whether Fannie and Freddie are going to make it. But if they're tightening up, you got to think the hard money game is going to continue expanding.
1: There's a direct correlation between what we charge and, and the liquidity factor. Direct. So right now, because the liquidity is still flowing fairly abundantly, yeah. Right. We, we, our loan, you know, our yield is really not what it always was. Historically, hard money was 12 to 14 minimum, yeah. And, and two. And when things were tight, it would go to 16. Yep. Or 18. 16 and 18. I didn't see, I wasn't around for, for was the 18. Like but, but John, yep. you know, John had seen some yep. of the 18. Yep. I mean, I think at the, at the end of the day, the liquidity, even in, the most liquid parts of the country where there's a multiple hard money lenders, I am starting to see it tighten. Once the banks tighten, they follow. they're going to need the hard money lenders more than they're not. And our goal They need them more. Oh, of course. Because when you know when the banks say no to a commercial multi-use four yeah. fam yeah, yeah, yeah. with a Inherited with a barna- property, yeah, whatever. whatever the deal is, in the bank, the banks say <laughs> no, absolutely not. So the banks over the last couple of years have been a little bit more accommodating. There's been a little bit more liquidity. That to me is probably in the late innings, and I think that hard money lending is going to be explosive. In twenty, the right hard money lender, the right hard money lender, and the right deals, and the right guys structuring the deals. I don't mean guys coming for a seventy-five LTV. I'm talking about true bridge lending, where you're looking at a fifty to sixty LTV you have an exit strategy and the guy has cre- the guy has executed multiple deals in his past so your execution because that's the biggest thing you have execution risk if that borrower can't get completed and go back for traditional done. financing done. then I as the lender how do I get my money back yeah, i can say don't. well i'm collecting 2% a month in defaulted interest yeah, that that's all great but i may be sitting with the property i don't want to i'm not in the loan to own i'm in the loan to recoup my yeah. Principal yeah, back,
0: make get my interest,
1: and give the guy another loan on his next project because he's a responsible sponsor. He's a responsible sponsor. So, how much
0: weight do you personally put on a credit score?
1: In our firm, I would say, if ten being the most weight on a, on someone's credit score, I'd say we probably six or yeah, a seven. Midway, yeah, I we, agree. we really underwrite the asset. So, if the asset is valuable. It's unencumbered. It's a first, you know, we have the first mortgage. We have a macro view. So if it's in the right area, if it's in a growing area mm-hmm. and the LTV is good, quite frankly, if the bot, I mean, if, listen, if the, if the sponsor, you know, has had three bankruptcies and, and, and a couple of foreclosures, even with that might be we, risky. we'd be hesitant Right. we'd be hesitant right. if if a sponsor or a borrower has a 600 600 fico and we love the asset we love the asset and especially if it's cash flowing because then if i take it back it's cash flowing it's paying for sure. itself i don't have to put my money yep, 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 i don't have yep, to put any yep. money out of my pocket so with those parameters i would say that the credit score is, uh, is probably not the most important if i have a checklist of four things yes yeah, at least If it's not the least, it's the second from the least. So,
0: talk to me about all the cowboys in the business, the greedy guys that come in, they try to undercut people on rate points, service. We all know most people's service sucks. Not getting back to people.
1: They want market. But
0: how do you maintain true to your business model, even with trading and hedge fund and even probably in the fashion game? Like, you have a motto which I've taken from you, I've borrowed, right? With no interest. Ignore the crowd. How have you been able to successfully ignore the crowd, stick to your guns and morals, and still be profitable and operate at you know, a successful level?
1: I think we, we operate in a more professional and we have a macro view and we look at things. Most
0: people have a macaroni view. A macro macaroni view. and cheese. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> we really look at a loan almost to the level of, you know, okay, if this loan defaults, What's it going to cost me? How am I going to get out? And right. what's the time frame to get out? What's the possibility of this loan defaulting? Is it is it cash flowing? So all the things that we look at go back to what you just said, is discipline. We also don't take a lot of money from investors. And this is really key. If I was taking money hand in fist every month from investors that invest with sure, us, sure. I'd have to put that money to so work. You're the return. Or I dilute the return. So what I've been able to do... Is manage my deal flow to match the incoming capital. So So you don't just take it on
0: 10 million and say, hey, we have to lend 10 million. You're keeping a healthy number. I'm taking
1: in 2 million and I've got four deals that are 3 million. So I have to rid myself of one of those deals anyway. It just forces me to keep the creme de la creme. And not chase the mediocre deals.
0: Have you ever made a decision at desperation before in your life, personally or professionally, that you regret?
1: Yeah, I guess when I was sixteen and I was misbehaving.
0: <laughs> so you've had that long of a track record not making a decision at desperation.
1: I've made some wrong decisions. If I look back, You can't let
0: everyone know you're perfect, so I have to come back with something. You know? Well,
1: I mean. I, I'll give an example. So, you know, we saw the 2006 when I said, this is a house of cards. So I liquidated all my China hedge funds. We had made probably 100 to 150% on all these hedge funds. And I allocated them to a trade that didn't involve stocks. So it was a lending business, okay? And I did 10 of them. And it worked because I stayed out of the market. The problem was the liquidity even though the asset, similar to hard money, I was lending on an entity, a business, a hard asset. The problem was, even though the value of the asset didn't go down, we couldn't move it. We couldn't sell it. There's no buyers. So it was better than being in the market, because in the market, you were taking Done. 10%, 15% yep. hit every single quarter right. until, until we got to the bottom, sure. which was in March of, oh, of 2009. Nine. Yeah. So- I think that decision was well thought out. So no, the answer is I've never made a decision out of desperation. Mm -hmm. And the wrong decisions, I go back and I reanalyze that decision that I'm talking about. And I say, but it was the right right move, but I never expected – I expected the stock market to crash. I expected the subprime market to crash. We certainly capitalized big on that. I didn't expect the lack of liquidity to be as powerful as it was. So in hindsight, what I should have done is gone to cash and just said, you know it's coming. You see it. Mm-hmm. Don't try to pick another asset class that you believe will do better. Just
0: take all trade off. Just table.
1: take it all off.
0: No exposure. So
1: when people come to me today and I say, and they say my 401k is up like 400% hey. over, over the last time, I go – And I said this earlier in our our conversation. I said, take the money out. Either put it into a hard asset Mm -hmm. or just sit in cash, make your 1%. Not
0: making money is better than than losing money.
1: Preservation of capital is is better than losing capital. So do that. Once the market corrects itself, you go back in and you start again. Now, that takes a lot of discipline Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of thought.
0: Let's say don't catch a falling knife, right? And how do you know when that falling knife is... Unfolding.
1: I mean, for me, I would say, historically, at, at a 30% hit to the, let's say, to the S&Ps. 2,100. Yeah. To, we would like it to be 1,500. Right. You know, but, know, it's going back. Right. But I'd like it to be 1,500. But okay, 2,100 is a, a, a level that actually on a on a Fibonacci is actually a a, a very possible level. At 2,100, go Okay, so you were a little bit early, and it goes from 2,100, it goes to 1,900. Right not the end of the you're world. Still going up you're still going You're still going to go back to more likely than not, we'll see 3,000 again. But this is with everything. There's nothing wrong with going to cash. There's nothing wrong with booking your gains, sitting back, and reevaluate. And it's the same with real estate. The cowboys out there, you asked, giving these loans, I laugh. We lose deals to people that are doing 8%, 8.5% no money be made. hard money loan. Right. But worse, they're doing them at seventy-five LTV. But once you hit over a twenty-five percent hiccup on that asset, it's now. now We had the deal we
0: looked at last week. They were negative two million in equity. Remember, they wanted eleven million, and we were like, "We can give you nine. Because
1: they hear that it's available, so they come around and they want ten percent and no points. And we say, "And we say, listen, thank you for showing us your deal." Sure. And I'm probably of the of the three of us that that are on the investment committee. I'm probably the the most negative. And think every deal. I think every deal is bad, and that's how I go in. Now, prove me wrong. That deal stinks. Hey, tell me the story. Tell me the story. How, why am I wrong? Right. So, in, in, there's other guys. They think they love every deal. They're deal junkies. I call them this in the in, the, in bridge lending. They love a deal. They never met a deal they didn't Just like. Do a
0: to do the deal. To do the deal.
1: I hate. I hate every. I hate every Not deal. And I think that's what's going to. When we say ignore the crowd, we are ignoring the mistakes that we see other. Lenders possibly make that's just
0: stupidity at one point
1: yeah I mean I'm going to be nice and say because these are competitors and sometimes colleagues naive greedy desperate naive desperate interesting forced yep. they have money forced they have they have investors well I'll give you a
0: funny story so a guy uh, called me up in like 2017 hey listen I just raised 10 million in capital uh, I'm sitting on too much of it he's got, got any deals for me got deals for me I'm like listen this is before right before you and I actually met funny mm-hmm. enough and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I got this shitty deal in Florida. It's like $85,000. The guy's buying it for 95000 He can't really get a conventional mortgage, whatever. He didn't have his fund season, whatever it was. He you know, has no mortgage contingency in the contract. I'm like, all right. Now listen, again, from my experience in the business, there are some business decisions that could be made to the right people, right? Based on their track record. Okay, you own 20 properties. I'll give you a higher LTV. So I know you can get out. And I know you're a legitimate guy or whatever the case Before might be. Or you have
1: something to cross yeah, them. There's
0: right? a way to protect yourself, right. right? So this guy literally gave my client 85, I think it was 82,000 mm-hmm. on a loan, right? For hard money, whatever it was, 10 and 2. But it was a, you know, 85 LTV, whatever it was. And he's like, oh, well, I have so much capital here. I just have to put something out. And then he ran out of capital. I'm like, wow, that's quick. But I'm like, well, you know what? I'm like, did you do more risky deals like this? Like, you know, lucky I told you, hey, look, once we wait six months, property goes up, borrow, have more cash. We can definitely refinance you out based on today's current lending programs. But isn't that crazy? Like, hey, I'll do a deal, just do a deal because I have to deploy capital.
1: I see it all the time. You know, remember the family offices, um, some of the pension funds. Sure. They're forcing, you know, the guys like even even the Blackstones of the world are are doing these large, I'd say highly levered, but h- levered funds, five hundred million dollars. I mean, so if you're sitting on five hundred million, whatever the number may sure. be, you have to put it to work, or sure. you're going to dilute. I think our strategy of touching each property that we invest with in, in the bridge lending, staying conservative, staying in areas that show robust yep. growth. Yep. Not oversaturated, getting the right appraisal. What's it really worth? Not an appraisal inflated, you know, bullshit. inflated at you know. I used to say, would you get that out of a Cracker yeah, Jacks box? Not still low. or any of those things. I think will keep you out of trouble.
0: The market's made a lot of winners, right? It's gone straight up. Real estate, mm-hmm. stock market, S and P, everything Dow. Right, mm-hmm. it's gone straight up. You know, there's a correction coming. What is your thesis on the next 12 months, 24 months? And how bad is it going to get, in your opinion?
1: We'll start with real estate. I mean, I'm a believer that we are just on the verge of finally, after printing money for 11 years, seeing some stable income growth, seeing wage, uh, seeing other inflation in healthcare, care, college, in food. So I'm a believer that we're on the tip of a possible big inflation. If that's the case, real estate is not going to not go down, but real estate, the value of your real estate, a hard asset when there's, you know, when we, let's say inflation rate goes to five and a half or six. Sure. It's barely been two. The sure. Fed wants two. It goes to two. It goes back to one, 160. It goes to two. But the bottom line is we haven't been in inflation for more than 10 years. If that's the case, I'm bullish on real estate. If that's not the case, And inflation goes back to, one, I'm very negative on real estate and think that we will correct sometime in the next 24 to 36 months because I think there's enough liquidity to keep it going a little longer. Capital needs a home. But after that, I'm a believer that we will probably see a major, major, major correction. Now, for equities, my thesis has been we are very close to the top in the S and P's. The way these companies have earned, you know, the, the the PEs that they have is that they buy back, you know, they borrow money at, you know, whatever two and a half, three percent. They inflate their dividend and
0: spend like crazy.
1: They buy back the stock. Yep. So when you're buying millions and millions of shares of your stock, it can do no other way than to go straight up. So now that that party, I believe, is coming close to the end, I think actually the government may stick their, their, unfortunately, tentacles in there and see, and, and, and basically they may limit how much one company can buy back their stock. I've heard this is like rumor. That's a talk on the street. Rumor. Yeah. yeah rumor. Whatever. It's, it's rumor, but, it, but, but buy about, a rumor, sell on But, but think about <laughs> it. It, it. It could happen. So 12 months, uh, equity, uh, I would say I am anywhere from, from down 10, to up 10. Not dramatic. Now, if you speak about 2021. After the election year. Probably much more in the camp of, you know, a 30 to 40% correction in the equity market yep. and a major correction in the bond market and not so interest rate driven. I think people are going to worry that the United States, like every other country, has printed too much money the and their bonds are through the roof. And they may not be able to service.
0: So, the, do you see rates going back to yeah. uh, mortgages six, seven, eight, nine percent? I think so. Wow.
1: I don't know about six to nine, but I mean, I could certainly, five. I could certainly see. I well, could we had five fourth quarter last yeah, year. Yeah, I could certainly, see 5 Five see to seven for sure. I mean, why, why should our rates be this low? It's yeah. ridiculous. It's artificially inflating the market. It's totally It's it's hundred percent.
0: So we close up each show with one piece of advice that you leave listeners with to deposit that to their brain, right? Mm-hmm to hopefully implement or improve their everyday life. Now, a lot of people say, hey, learn these five things. Read this book of 200 pages. There's too much noise, if you will. So when you ignore the crowd and you eliminate the noise, what's the one thing you want people to take away after listening to today's episode?
1: Read The Mortgage Quarterback. (laughs) That's (laughs) terrible (laughs)
0: advice. Don't read it. What's your real advice that you want to give people?
1: I think it's really what I said earlier is to find a style and strategy for your life that fits your personality. Don't try to be like you or someone else. Find the thing, the strategy and the style that fits your personality and go with that because that's going to be your best asset for the rest of your life.
0: That's valuable advice. One last question so people could laugh. How long did it take for me to get you to actually like me? Genuine like. You don't just let people into your life like
1: you've let me in. So I liked you. I liked you right off the bat because we didn't know each other, right. and we were sitting in rayos right. and, and the wine was flowing. Yep. Then for a short period of time, I didn't. Not, I wouldn't say I didn't like you. I I, 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 you were. You didn't understand my style. I didn't. I didn't get you yet, and that took a little while for us to figure out how we can maximize our relationship. Once we found out how we could maximize our business relationship, all of a sudden the friendship came along, and it's basketball, and it's going to a game, and it's and it's hanging out. And
0: I think it was actually not. I could be wrong, but we were sitting in a meeting in your office, and I said we need to make this process digital. And I feel like that caught your interest when I said we need to bring a digital concept to the hard money lending space.
1: Well, listen, you've you, you've done extremely well with your whole digital advertising, your whole you know your your whole social media. I, I give you. A ton of credit for that. I mean, what you get on that, what you get on your different applications is, is 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 phenomenal. And because I'm one generation away from you, I never believed in it. But now I more than believe in it. I believe in it wholeheartedly. Well, the results, were in
0: the yeah, the right. results the are in the pudding. The results are in the pudding.
1: I mean, I think we're closing a loan with you. I think that loan came from uh, Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. So now you're, unknown guy. you're getting, you know, a million dollar loan. That's a really good loan. I don't know how big that one was, but it doesn't matter. Getting it from Instagram. Yeah. So there's no middle. There's no middle. You know, we're, we're, we're much more productive. We're, we're dealing directly with the borrower. So I would say that I liked you from, <laughs> from the, from the start. And the more that we get to know each other, I look at you as a little brother or, or the, or the son, I it's never healthy had. Healthy
0: hybrid, right? It's good. Yeah. Well, listen, I value you probably just as much as anybody else does, probably as much as your kids do. And like I guess I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on this show. I hope everybody that listened learned something. Uh, if you do ever have the opportunity to meet Mike, I hope you take full advantage of that and respect this time. Other than that, you know, we are actively lending in the hard money space. TradeXrealty.com. You can go check it out. If you go on there, you will receive a special discount if you put that you listen to this podcast. Maybe we'll waive a deposit or you know lessen your points and fees for you. So, Mike, thanks so much for coming on today's show. I hopefully you enjoyed it, and congratulations again on your door's engagement.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. I can't wait. Let's do it again, round two. Thank you.